God speaks to us in his word in Job 1, 1 through 3. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Anna. All right. So, if you're a guest in the room, again, I hope you've heard it enough. We just are honored that you would be here. Um, we're preaching through, as a church, we, we preach through the Bible. And um, what we do, how we kind of handle our sermons is um, our elders, we get together and, and we just pray and, and try, to, try to seek God on, on what he would say to our church. And that determines how we, how we preach the Bible, what series comes up. And it just so happens that this week is the start of one of those series. It's a series on the book of Job. It's really fitting that we start it this week. Job is a really easy book to understand. Um, it's, most scholars have no trouble with it at all. I'm not nervous about preaching it at all. And um, so, man, get ready. This is going to be seven weeks. It's going to be really, I'm just kidding. Job is a really hard book to understand for a lot of people. And, um, but it's fitting that we would be starting this book this week because a lot of us are, well, several of us are at this point in our life, not just because of the snow or the water situation or whatever, but COVID and on top of, it's not like life is easy without a pandemic, you know, and throw a pandemic into an already not easy life. And it further begs the question that everybody's asking all the time. It's a common question. You ask it, I've asked it. The world asks it. If God is good and God is sovereign, why do bad things happen to good people? That's the question. If he's good and also just and also sovereign, meaning he oversees the world, why do bad things happen to good people? Also, why do good things happen to bad people? Job is asking that question. And Job has an answer for us. You're in a good spot if you've come in this week trying to figure out like, I feel like I do a pretty good job. Maybe this is you, maybe you think like, man, I'm in church. I do a pretty decent job, you know, I, I'm a Christian, I, I offer my life to Jesus, I, um, I follow him, like, why, why am I suffering right now? And the trick is this, is like, we just tend to think, even though we don't practice it, like we wouldn't verbally necessarily agree with this or say it, we feel and we think in our heart and in our mind we kind of subscribe to this idea that if I do good, I get good. If I do bad, I get bad. If someone else is struggling, they probably did something to deserve that or didn't do something to deserve the opposite. 
If someone lives on the street, is drug addicted, we might think, if we're really compassionate, we might think, that's sad, we need to help them. But typically, somewhere in the back of our mind, it's like, I wonder what they did or didn't do to deserve that. Or if you meet somebody that's a wealthy business person that you witness work hard, you might think to yourself, like, that makes sense. (laughs) They worked hard. I'm not here to tell you that. I think hard work is one of the most important uh, virtues in humanity. We should work hard, man. But you can actually work hard and still not get blessing. You can work hard and still suffer. You can set your life up and every day be anxious about keeping your family safe and your family comfortable. And you can like do all the things that you need to do to work anxiously to keep comfort and safety and blessing a priority in your life and still suffer. And, and simultaneously, someone in the world could actually work for none of those things and get blessing. Job sets us up to hear why does it happen this way? Like, what is it? Because here's the thing is like, Job is not primarily about us dictating how God governs the world. In our mind, if you do good, you should get good. That's actually called karma. If you do bad, you should get bad. The trouble is, is that we don't govern the world. And God does not govern the world based on how we think he should. As a matter of fact, God doesn't govern the world mechanically at all. God governs the world based on his own wisdom. And that's what this book is going to be about for us. How does God govern the world? It's going to help us answer those questions. So if you're not familiar with the story of Job, Job was wealthy. He was the greatest in all the East, the Bible says. And long story short, God allows this figure called Satan, which we'll talk about in a little bit. It's not the same Satan that you think. It's the accuser. He allows him to take everything from Job because the accuser says that Job worships God only because of the stuff that God has given him. So Job, according to the accuser, is a byproduct of karma. God allows the accuser, the Satan, to take everything from him. And Job loses everything. And this book is about him losing everything. It's about his friends. His friends come around and try to counsel him. And some of them have good counsel. Some of them have bad counsel. It's several chapters of counsel. His wife gives him counsel. Job is totally angry with God at certain points. And the end of the book, God meets with Job. And um, it's where the, the statement that you hear a lot, gird up your loins, that comes from Job 38, God coming to Job. And it's a pretty intense and pretty amazing part of Scripture. So we're going to jump into this book over the next seven weeks. There's a few things I want us to talk about today uh, that help us get, us get us ready to receive this book. One, Job is wisdom literature and poetry. So wisdom literature, the Bible has several different um, sort of literary categories that 
the Bible is made up of. Epistles, there's other categories, narrative. Job is what's called wisdom literature. Wisdom literature is also Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. A lot of wisdom in wisdom literature, but then poetry as well. Job functions as wisdom for our understanding of our lives and how God governs the world, and it offers us a different perspective than Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Proverbs primarily says this, live wisely, live righteously, and if you do that, it'll work out for you. And then Ecclesiastes says, okay, live right, wisely and righteously all you want, but life is still meaningless in the end. It's all vanity. Job has no formula at all. Live wisely, check, he did that. Have prosperity, did that, check. Can it still go away? Check. Job gives us a different perspective. It changes the narrative and helps us see from a different lens. It, again, it asks the question, how does God govern the world? Also, most of this book is poetry, 95% of it. Job's friends come to Job and their response to what's going on with Job, how he lost everything, and we're going to read. It is intense how much he loses in the short amount of time. Job's friends come to him in poetry and they recite poetically how, what their opinion is on how God has, is treating Job or why. So because it's poetry, some people have, some scholars have, a lot of them actually have, fought to say maybe Job is not an actual story. Well, I'm not going to say that today. I think Job is an actual story. However, poetry is a different means that God uses to convey his message on how he governs the world. So we have to read it a little bit differently. And my prayer for you is that you devour this book because it is beautiful. It's an absolutely beautiful book. We need to read it as a church. As you're reading it, just remember, poetry is a different ballgame. It's not a direct response. So where Job is a story in the Bible that I think is literal, I'm not so sure that Job's friends came around him and recited poetry to him as a response to what God is doing. And I'm also not so sure that there was anybody there to write all of that down. So it's poetry. And the other thing that you've got to remember is Job is one of 66 books that were all written by God, God's pen to paper, to ultimately reveal God's character and to ultimately reveal his son, Jesus. That's what Job is. So Job is wisdom, literature, and poetry. Second, Job, you need to read Job as revelation. We don't know fully. There's some speculation, some good guesses about who the author of Job is. But we do know the true author. It's God. One of 66 books. It's not an outlier that somehow mysteriously slipped past the cut. The Bible is revelation to us about who God is and who we are. God, God is revealing himself to us in the book that he wrote. And if we read it with a humble and pure heart, we can see ourselves in every single character in the story of Job not named God. Job has despair, anger, confusion, and doubt. We're Job. We're also Job's friends. They have a mechanical view of God in the way that he should govern the world based on their opinion. 
We're also Job's wife who comes to him and she says, curse God and die. We have that counsel to ourselves and to others as well. We're also the accuser, the Satan. Accusing God and also accusing God's people. This book reveals us and it reveals God and we need the same spirit that wrote the Bible to reveal the meaning and the depth and the wonder of Job to our hearts. John 5, 39. You search, this is Jesus talking, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is, the, it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Job is about Jesus. We're going to discover that over the next few weeks. The story of Job is filled with lots of people's counsel and opinions that ultimately fall short. And what Job gets in the end, this is a little bit of a spoiler, what he gets in the end is the same thing that you and I both need today. We need wise counsel from our friends. That's a good thing. We need to go to counseling. That's a good thing, whether you consider yourself healthy or unhealthy. If your marriage is um, struggling or if it's not struggling, I would say go to counseling. It's just good for you to go. You need community around you. You need people's opinions. You need to read other books. You need this, that, and the other. But ultimately, what Job needed is the same thing that you need today. That is an encounter with God. The answer to why is there suffering in the world is found in a person. The answer to your suffering is found in a person. So we need this book, man. We need God's words. We need it to light up our heart. We need to meet with God like Job met with God. All right, let's jump into this then. Um, starting in verse one, I want to introduce you to this man, Job. Job is, first and foremost, the Bible's really clear, Job is blameless. He's blameless. Verse one, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. A lot of translations would, instead of blameless, they would say the word perfect. Blameless, what does that mean? Our brain, we typically go straight towards how, we thought Jesus was the only sinless one. How is Job completely blameless? Well, blameless does not equal sinless. Jesus is the only sinless one. What the Bible is doing here is it's setting us up to understand something that's really important for the rest of the book and for our time today. No one could point to Job and say that he deserved what he got. Like no one on earth. He is blameless. And that's massive because we tend to think you get what you deserve. We talked about this earlier. And even Job's friends tried to tell him you get what you deserve. The Bible's clear though. He was blameless and he was upright. Also, Job was great. Not just blameless, but he was a great man. This is amazing how the Bible describes him. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. I learned in the first service that the gender of the donkeys really does matter a quite a big deal. I did not know that. 
and made a fool out of myself in the first service. I guess you want female donkeys if you have donkeys. And he also had very many servants so that, this is crazy how it describes him, this man was the greatest of all the people in the East. He was the greatest. My goodness. There's a lot of people in the East, and Job was the greatest one. Job was great in his wealth. In the ancient East, everything listed here would be a mark of massive prosperity. Sons, daughters, oxen, camels, female donkeys. It's the way that we want to imagine the world. Job is good, therefore he prospers. Good things happen to good people. He was great in wealth, but he was also not just great in wealth. You might be thinking already, it might have triggered in your brain, like, okay, I wonder what he did to deserve this. Did he know God? How devoted was he to God? Well, Job was also great in religion. Verses four and five, his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Job was so devoted to his family and devoted to God that this man woke up and offered burnt offerings and sacrifices just in case his kids sinned and he didn't know about it. Because he's such a godly man, they dare not sin with their hands. So that, I love this because it's not even in question whether or not they sin with their hands. They never would have. Job was their dad. He trained them up in the way that they should go. Job's offering sacrifices in case they sin in their heart. That's a dedicated man. That is a faithful man. That's the guy that would have been here every Sunday. That's the guy that would have been pursuing eldership and whatever else. That's the guy that would have given the most. That's the guy that we would look at and be like, well, that's why God's blessed him. He's devoted. Job was great. He was blameless and upright. He was great in wealth. He was great in religion. There is no fault in him. This tears down the fabric of American evangelical idea that if we honor God with our policies and honor God with our lips, that we will prosper as a nation. Suffering and blessing is up to God. And he cannot be manipulated. God won't be mocked. We cannot treat God as a rabbit's foot. If I do this, I will get this. If I vote this way, God will bless me and bless our nation. God won't be mocked. And Job is proof. 
Job makes us confront our ideals. And it helps us see that God is after one thing primarily. God is after our hearts. So this is Job's story. So far, so good. Job has honored God with his life. He's blessed beyond belief. It's all fitting really nicely in our Western ideas about how God should pay us according to our deeds. If we do the right thing, we'll get the right thing. How many times have we seen someone on the street struggling, drug addicted or whatever, and we thought, again, we talked about this earlier. That's sad, but I wonder what they did to deserve it. How many times in our majority culture, this church, in our privileged culture, have we seen a minority on TV lose their life or get their life taken from them and the first thing that pops into our head is like, well that's tragic and sad, but I wonder what laws they were breaking. Job confronts all of this. You don't get to say anymore, get what you deserved. It makes us see something. If you're a Christian in the room, it makes you see nobody, not a single person in the room in the history of Christendom, nobody who has followed Jesus has ever gotten what they deserved. You don't deserve Jesus. You don't deserve heaven. You don't deserve any of that. What you deserve is hell. What you deserve is death. So Job just helps us see it. Job didn't get what he deserves. God, through this book, is about to light a match to all of our man-made ideas on how things should operate. So here's the story. Everything's going great, and then this meeting happens. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came, also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand only Against him do not stretch out your hand, meaning don't make him sick, don't cause him to die. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. This is a heavenly staff meeting. The sons of God, terminology that have been used for those that God created, his angels. And this is a scene that we would have seen a lot in a king's court in the ancient Near East. King and his sons, his People that work for him, that sort of do, that he delegates to. There's an agenda here. Because in comes 
this Satan character. Now, this can get confusing to us. Hebrew, this word is ha-satan, or the Satan, which means the accuser or the adversary. The word is capitalized here, which is confusing, because it's not necessarily saying that this is the devil, the Satan. So all of the ways that we get tripped up, and most people do, they stop right here with this scene, and they say, what in the world is going on? Is God making deals with the devil? (laughs) That's not what's happening. God's not like playing some game with the devil, allowing him to just run over all of these innocent people or whatever it is so that for no reason at all. The accuser's agenda was accusation, manipulation, and a plan to point the finger, to point the finger and disprove God. God's agenda was to write a book that fit into 66 other books to reveal his power, glory, character, and salvation through his son. None of it's lost. People read it, they think about the devil and God in cahoots making bets with the lives of blameless people to make a point. They also get caught up on the scene in heaven and totally miss the point of the book. John Walton said this, the book is focusing on how God works in the world, not teaching us about how things work in heaven. God is in control and his purposes are good. And also, this book is wisdom literature. It's teaching us about God and his purposes in the world. So the accusation is this. The accuser comes in and he says, people only worship you for what they get from you. Take away blessing and they will worship something else. So here comes the tragedy of Job. It's two rounds. This is round one. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them and the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking... There came another and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the older brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young people and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. My goodness. Then Job arose He's been in a conversation that's been interrupted. No one's been able to even get it out of their mouth until the next devastating, tragic thing comes. Job arose and tore his robe and he shaved his head and he fell on the ground and he cursed God and he said, how could you possibly do this to me? I offer sacrifices in your name. I do all of this in your name. You've taken everything from me. How could you possibly do that? What do you want from me, God? 
Haven't I given you enough? It's not what Job did. Job arose and tore his robe and he shaved his head and he fell on the ground and he worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. One day, Job loses it all. The accuser said Job would curse God if he took it. Seems like the accuser was wrong. But this is just round one. Here's round two. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, all that a man he has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and he struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. His wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. From great to ruin. Job has absolutely no idea what's going on. Job does not know about a meeting in heaven. He only knows that everything was taken from him in a flash and for no reason. And this is where we get to the great problem of the world and the great problem in this book. If God is just, if God is sovereign, and God is good, how can there be evil and suffering in the world? These are objections. We have objections from the accuser. We have objections from Job himself. And then we personally have an objection. The accuser objects, is God right to bless the righteous? Job objects, is God right to allow the righteous to, be su to suffer? And our objection, how can God be both good and sovereign? This book is going to help us see what we need to see. God governs the world by his wisdom not how we think he should govern the world. God is constantly revealing himself in Job and in, his, in this book. We trust God. God governs the world in his wisdom, not ours. And over the next several weeks, we're gonna see it. This book is gonna teach us a few things. 
The first is this. Job helps us get ready for suffering. And it also helps us help others suffer. You will suffer. If you haven't yet, you will. And so will your friends. Job gives us a wide range of interactions personally and for our own community. And it helps us see how to better navigate suffering in a broken world. The second is this. God governs the world, not by strict justice, but by his wisdom. At the end of the book, Job is confronted by God. And God tells Job, you have no idea what it's like to govern such a complex world. Job sits in silence as God speaks. We see in the end that God has more wisdom and nuance to the way that he oversees things than we will ever know. Our posture is to surrender, submit, and trust God is smarter and way better equipped to run the universe than we are. The third, Satan, sin, death, and evil are real. However, God is in charge and he is working. This world is broken. Both nature and the supernatural are real. There are powerful forces at work. Later we'll read about Leviathan and Behemoth. But we can trust God in all circumstances. The fourth, learn to be fully honest before God. Job was honest before God. Job's friends talked about God. They tried to make a prescription. Job, you did this, and that's why this happened. God works this way. God doesn't work this way. Job listened. They talked about God. What Job does is even to the point of almost disrespect, Job talks to God. And that's what we need to do. Don't just know about God. Don't just know things about him. That's important, but also know him. Also talk to him and be honest with him. Even your doubts, even your lack of faith, come to God with all of that, just like Job did. Ultimately, even though Job's friends said some things that are orthodox, said some things that we would consider to be good doctrine, not everything, but some things they did, in the end, God rebukes Job's friends and commends Job for his honesty. Talk to God. Number five, God is after our heart. Primarily, he's after our heart. We talk about that a lot. Number six, the answer to suffering in the world is not found in a concept. It's not mechanical. You can't decipher it. The answer to suffering in the world is found in a person, God. Tim Keller said this, Job never saw why he suffered, but he saw God and that was enough. That's enough for us today. Again, if you're suffering, if you're struggling, go to counseling, seek wise counsel, get friends around, all that's good, but don't start there. Start with God. What you need more than anything is an encounter with the power and the presence of God. And seven, finally, the book of Job is about the true innocent sufferer, Jesus. Job was blameless and a sufferer. This book is about what every other book in the Bible is about. Jesus Christ, the true, the better, the more complete, innocent sufferer. Job loses trust in the Father. Jesus in the garden says, not my will but yours. Job's friends 
offer him no comfort in the end. Jesus is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. The accuser comes to shame and condemn. Jesus offers no condemnation. As a matter of fact, he absorbs our shame, accepts us just as we are. Jesus is the ultimate innocent sufferer who came to offer sufficiency as a sacrifice and a high priest. Hebrews 4, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What we need more than anything, my friends, is we need an encounter with God. We need Jesus. You are going to suffer in this life. Job suffered greatly. He met with God. That was his answer. That was enough. If you're suffering today, and there are some of you in the room that are, I, I want to offer wise counsel. I want to I give you friends, and I want you to have friends, but ultimately what I want for you is for you to meet with God today. You need God. You need his help. What Jesus offers us is his nearness, and because of the work of Jesus, we have now access to God. The dividing wall of hostility has been torn We can be friends and family in the court around the table of the family of God. Let's stand together.